listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. You know, the, the estimated population of Greene County, where most all of us live, for 2022 is 303,663 people. That's the estimated population right now of Greene County, 303,663 people. And here's the question I want to ask today. What would it take to reach those 303,663 people with the gospel? What would it take? Let's just assume that 30% of them, and I think that's high, are in a relationship with Jesus. They know Jesus. They're following Jesus. They believe in Jesus. Let's just say 30% of them. That would leave 212,564 people remaining just in Greene County, which isn't, doesn't even comprise every city that our church reaches that's coming to our church, but where most of you are from. What would it take to reach the 212,564 people who are not in a relationship with Jesus, who do not know Jesus? They are not surrendered to, to his lordship. They're not in a relationship with God. They're not in God's family. They are not going to spend eternity with God. In fact, they'll spend eternity separated from God because they're not in a relationship with Jesus. And here's the question I'm kind of asking today. I want us to take our minds to, are we concerned about the 212,564? Do you feel burdened for them? Do you feel concerned? Do you feel awake? For that many people who live right around us who do not know the Lord, are are we burdened by it? Do we think about it? Do we feel the weight of it? Do we need God to give us a spiritual awakening to open our eyes? Because I think every person who's in a relationship with Jesus would be burdened by this. And the reason is this, because Jesus is burdened by this. I'd like for everyone to stand right now as we read from John chapter 4. I want us to look at this together and just to give us some context of what we're about to read. John chapter 4 is about 10 months into the ministry of Jesus. We're about 10 months in. He's just had an encounter with a Samaritan woman at a well. She was lost. She was broken. And he reveals to her that he is the Messiah and she believes in him. And then she goes back to her town to tell other people who he is so that they too can, can believe in him. This is the encounter he's just had. And she is not only responsive, but she's helping other people come to Jesus as well. And here's what we read in John 4, beginning in verse 31 through 38. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? What app did he use? Was it Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats? Who brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you know the saying? Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and other reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits 
of their labor. Jesus says in this moment, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish His work. That's what I live for. That's what sustains me. That is my food. That's where I find fulfillment. It's to do His will and it's to finish His work. And it's possible that Jesus in this moment is so excited from His encounter with this Samaritan woman. You know, the text says that He had to go there. He just had to go to Samaria. He had to encounter that woman. He had to share who He was. And He's so excited that she responded and believed and is going to tell others that He he can't even think about physical food right now. He's so spiritually pumped and filled up. He's, He's overcoming His physical hunger with the excitement to see the kingdom expand as He does His Father's will. And then Jesus says the fields are ripe for the harvest. In other words, you can be a part of harvesting for eternal life. And in fact, the fields and the reaper, they're working together. He just saw it in a Samaritan woman where Jesus sowed seed and now she's responding and the harvest is plentiful and it's exciting to see sowing and reaping happening together. It's in fact what Amos chapter 9, 13 says would happen in that prophecy. And then Jesus tells his disciples, they too have an opportunity to go and to reap, even if they're not the ones who sowed. Moses, the prophets, and Elijah, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, even John the Baptist, they're sowing, and you get to be a part of the reaping. It's exciting to be a part of reaping. He wishes they would finish the work. And then the text says this in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that time on, from that town, they believed in him. They believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Lord, I just pray today that, Lord, we would do your will, we would finish your work, and that, Lord, we too would see that as fulfilling work. That, Lord, we too would hunger and thirst for doing your will, being obedient to you. That, Lord, that would be our food that sustains us, Lord, that moves us, that grows us. And Lord, I just pray that today you would open our eyes to this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And as you are, there's several things today that I just want to challenge us as a church, those of us who are listening in person, those who are online listening or watching today. There's several things I want to challenge us to start praying right now, to start praying today. And I I think that if we would start praying these things, it would make a difference in our lives and it would help finish the work that God is wanting us to do. And here's the first thing I want to challenge you to pray, that instead of praying, like sometimes we often do, God, what is your will for my life? I want to challenge you just to pray this prayer. Pray this prayer starting today. Pray it this week. God, what is your will? Instead of always trying to look for God to give us his unique will for our life, something specific or special that we're just looking for that's just for us, what if we just started praying, God, what is your will? And then just do that. Imagine the impact it would have in our world if we just said, God, what is your will? God, I want to serve your vision. I want to serve your will, not just your unique vision for my life. God, I want to serve your will, and and I want to do what you would have me to do. I want to serve your purpose. I want to start obeying your will that you've already given me, the one that I already know. God, help me to do your will for my life. Because Jesus said in John 45, open your eyes. The fields are ripe 
for the harvest. God, that's God's vision for the world, for all of us. It's not just unique to you. It's for every single believer that we would open our eyes and see the harvest that is all around us and that every one of us has a responsibility to fulfill God's vision for reaching the world. And this is kind of where we've been the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, Corey showed us what the end result's gonna look like in Revelation when it says that people will be gathered there of every tongue, tribe, and nation around God's throne and how in Matthew 28, he gave us a commission to help make that happen. We partner with with God to finish his work of making disciples. We're all called to do that as believers, every single one of us. And the question that we have to ask today is, what's it going to take to get there? What's going to get us there? How can we do it? Because I know the answer to that can be overwhelming. When you look at those numbers at 200 and whatever it was, 12,564 people that we're just guessing right now do not have a relationship with Jesus, it can be overwhelming to say, how could we as a church do that? In fact, in 2001, David Barrett and Todd Johnson did some research on what does it cost the average Uh, what does it cost the average church per baptism that they have in their church? And they began looking across America at all of these churches and began saying, what's their budget and how many baptisms did they have that year? And what was the cost per baptism? That's what they did. It's kind of interesting. Now, I know those churches are doing benevolence ministry and doing other work, but they were just saying, okay, look, if, if we want to see people baptized like Jesus said, and I know it goes beyond that, we need to make disciples, but What's it cost per baptism? The number they came up with was 1.5 million per baptism. That was the cost at the time. Uh, Chris Galanos, who uh, cited this research in, in, in his book, Megachurch to Multiplication, he said in his church, the average cost was 5,000 per baptism, which kind of scared me because if his church is 5,000 and, and they came up with a number of 1.5 million, then there must be some churches that are even beyond that per baptism. And so if you do the math... You say, what would it take, if, if the average church was 1.5 million per baptism, how many, what would it cost us to baptize 212,564 people in Greene County? It would cost us $318,846,000,000. So in other words, where I'm going with this, ser- this is actually a giving sermon. We're n- I'm now going to talk about stewardship because <laughs> we got some work to do. Uh, no, we're not even going to try that, right? Chris Galano's number at 5,000 per baptism. Now you got to understand, he was in the fastest growing church like in America. So in his church, they did it and they said, well, it cost us 5,000 per baptism. And like one of the fastest growing churches in America. And if you do the math, it would cost $1,062,820,000 for us to to see that, to reach Greene County at his rate. I, I was looking at Northside and, well, what, what was our budget in 2021 to 2022? Last year, how many baptisms we had? Well, we had 73 baptisms last year. Well, divide it by our budget. And uh, yeah, it's great, 73, but just doing the math here, maybe we don't clap, I don't know, but uh, just doing, once I tell you the math, but uh, doing the math. And, and I took out global outreach because all that is, we're, we're seeing baptisms happen. And I don't know what all those numbers are. So I just took out the global outreach that's going elsewhere around the world. And I just looked at within our church, the money used for capital expenditures as well as operating expenses and for the whole year, everything, every line item, even benevolence and helping people with counseling. I mean, I put it all in there and it comes out to 25,000 per baptism. That's still pretty expensive. 
And what Chris Galano shared in his book, he says, when, when you go into places where they have multiplication movements happening, the cost per baptism in some of those movements is 66 cents per baptism. What's the difference? The difference is in a movement, every person takes responsibility for making disciples. Every person does. And in those places, they have personal involvement. And it makes all the difference. Josh Howard, one of our workers in India, said that that he's a visionary leader. And he was just looking at India, at that country. And what would it take to reach people in India? And he just said, man, he began to wrestle with that so much. And, uh, and he just began to think, we're, we're never going to get this done. We're, we're, it's, it's, he just felt like it, it was impossible. Because he thought, what if we reached 100,000 people per year? Well, in a country of 1.3 billion, it would take 13,000 years to reach India. He said, well, what if we reached a million people per year? Well, that would take 1,300 years. And just the weight of all of that was overwhelming to him. And he became so discouraged so down. He said, yet in that moment, he says, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of his wife to help him in those moments, he probably would have just walked away saying it's impossible. But God began to open his eyes. And Josh is a worker that we support as a church. And and, uh, he began to open his eyes and look at what was happening around the world. And he says, when he began you know, years ago, 10 years ago or more ago, seeing what was happening in China, And uh, the underground house church in China saw how it was reproducing disciples that they had, in 10 years, they saw over 200,000 churches started and a million people baptized. That's just the ones we know about. And Josh began to pray, God, if you can do it there, you could do it here in India. He was saying, you could do it here. And he just started working towards disciple making. And in 2020, Josh said that that through his network that he is a part of, as they began to do this and work on this, they saw 5,118 churches started in India, which he said was more than what had happened in 40 years of ministry. In 2022, he told us just here uh, probably a month ago, he said uh, they've already seen in 2022, and this is the network that he's a part of that's that's really focused on disciple-making. They saw over 4,100 churches started this year so far in 2022. 27,000 people have come to Christ, and that's just in the last six months. And those are just the reports that they're getting. There is a movement that has been unleashed and launched there because everybody is taking responsibility for disciple-making. They see themselves as a part of the process of making disciples, and they're following biblical pathways to do it, and it's resulted in multiplication. And it can happen if we would just pray, God, what is your will? (laughs) And I just want to follow your will, and I want to do your work. God, I want to do that. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we want to do. And here's another prayer we could pray. It's the same one Josh prayed. God, if you can do it there, if you can do it in India, and God, if you can do it in China, if you can do it in Africa, all these places it's happened, God, you could do it here. God, if you can do it there, you, I, I know you can do it here. And that may be a prayer we could just start praying today. God, if you can do it there, I know you can do it here. God, what is your will? If you do it there, I know you can do it here. And Chris Galanos, who's that pastor of E-Life in Lubbock, Texas, He looked at what was happening around the world as well. And and he began to ask the same questions a lot of us ask today, which is, can this happen in America? Can can that happen here? 
On July 19th, he was writing about this question because he said it's a question he gets often and other people have asked it as well. And He says, we usually ask it because we're skeptical, you know, about the viability of a movement in America that we're seeing in other places. And he says it typically goes something like this. You know, this culture's different in America. It's different here. I mean, it's different than Africa. It's different than Asia where some of these movements have broken out. And so maybe we're not well suited for movements like they are. And so we, you know, we, we wrestle with that. He says there's sociological concerns that we have in America. Like we're, we're so individualistic as a culture and those cultures are more communal. And it makes sense that it can happen there because those people make decisions in groups. But we don't in America. We're isolationalists. And and we're not as connected to our close friends and family as they are, so it's least likely to happen here like it happens there. He says, you add ecclesiological concerns to the list, like we're dominated by churches with buildings and money and pastors who like to have control and, and like to do it from within their buildings. And he says, that's not usually how those movements happen as much. And so he says, and, and also in, in, in the American churches, when it comes to ecclesiastical concerns, there's the clergy-laity divide. Like, you know, we, like, like we are the professionals, the, the, the clergy are the professionals. You know, leave, leave that good, important work up to us. You know, there's kind of that perspective in a lot of churches in America. And so maybe it wouldn't be received as well for every person to be a disciple maker because, you know, we we should do that. And, And what about educational concerns? Like we're more educated in this country than many of the countries where movements have broken out. And since movements rely so heavily on trusting in God and oftentimes they do see miracles or things happen, science from God where he's working in miraculous ways, well, we, we rely so much on science. I mean, that's what we rely on. Science rules the day. Wouldn't we write off those kinds of things and not believe it? And Chris said this. He said, I had those same objections too. I've asked the same questions as well. And he goes, I love the response that one of my coaches in multiplication said to me when I asked, can this really happen in America? And his answer was, movements typically break out wherever you don't think they can break out. That's historically what's happened every time. I mean, America's not the first place where someone said, can a movement really of disciple makers sweeping across this country, can it really happen here? And we think, well, it probably won't. He goes, isn't that what people said in China when there was a, a time and place when every missionary was kicked out and someone said there's not a single Christian left in China until the multiplication movement burst forth? Isn't that what happened in India and then it happened in India? Isn't that what happened in Africa and then it happened in Africa? Isn't that how God works? Wherever you say it's impossible, isn't that when God shows up? In powerful ways. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians one twenty five says? The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. He said the fact that so many people are starting to think, you know, this probably can't happen in America, is why this is likely and most likely the next place for it to happen. There's a part of India, formerly known as the graveyard of modern missions. For generations, missionary after missionary, they went there, saw little fruit. The ground was so hard. People were unresponsive. And guess what people were saying then? There's no way that something like that can happen there. And then it did. One of the greatest movements of God in history has broken out in that graveyard in the last 20 to 30 years. Millions have been baptized. So can this happen in America? The real answer is not only can it, but it's already started. It's already happening. Chris Galanos talks about what's happening in, in California, a movement that's happening there. He says, is California in America? And I'm like, I think it still is. I'm pretty sure. But anyway, still is in America. 
It's still in America, and, and a movement has broken out there, and, and there are others who are saying it, it's happening in two and three other places in our country as well, and that's what Chris Galanos is after as well. It is happening. He talked about a movement there in, in California that through that city team group, they saw over 120,000 disciples made and over 11,000 groups, churches started, and it wasn't just in America, but it's already spread to Central America where some of them moved to. And he says, so it's replicating, not just here, but there. And it's because they're, they're doing things where they, they come together with this expectation that they're going to do life together. They're going to read the Bible regularly and daily if possible. And, and it's not just for content. They're going to obey it. They're going to apply it. And they're going to share it with other people. Every person is taking responsibility for this. And it's done in community with other people and family members or friends who hold each other accountable to actually do it. And they love their neighbors. They pursue their neighbors in practical ways. They share the gospel freely. And, and they're their goal is to replicate and start other groups who were doing the same. And Chris says, we witnessed it firsthand. We saw it. And he said, we don't have to ask if it's happening in America because it's already happening. The question is, will we join God in what he's already doing in the country? He says, wouldn't you love for it to break out in your region? Wouldn't you love to start seeing that in our community? Does our community need Jesus? Does our community need transformation? Absolutely. This Green County is desperate for a move of God in this place. And it's only going to happen if disciples become disciple makers. And that's what we're, we're calling for. Wouldn't we like to see God just, wouldn't we like to raise the sails and just invite the Holy Spirit to move us in this place to do this? Jesus said, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. The problem is not with the harvest. Even though we want to say that, it's, it's this culture today, it's these kids today, it's this people today. No, the, the harvest is still ready. It's the workers that are few. The workers are the problem. And so we need to pray this prayer. Not just what's your will, God. Not just if you can do it there, you can do it here. But here's a prayer we can pray. God, reduce the gap between the harvest field and the harvest force. Reduce the gap between people who become followers of Jesus And when they help make followers of Jesus, when there's a short gap between the harvest field and the harvest force, movements are born. The Samaritan woman, she immediately went to town and talked to people about Jesus. And as she did that, the the gap between the harvest field, when she seeds were sown and she became a believer, and the harvest force, when she was going on behalf of Christ, that gap was so small. And here's the question, what what is that gap in your life from when you became a follower of Jesus to, where, to when you helped someone follow Jesus and become a disciple maker? What is that gap? What is that time frame? And could it be shortened? Could we shorten that gap so we begin to see a movement of people becoming followers of Jesus? The Bible promotes this. It promotes it. And maybe there's a chance you grew up in a church where you were thinking your job was just to invite people to come, you know, just come. And that was your job. And then it was the job of the minister to teach or or to preach or to evangelize or to share the gospel or to make disciples. That that was the minister's job. The minister's job was to make them a Christian. Your job was just to get them here. And I know in some churches it probably felt like that. Maybe it was like that. But the Bible promotes the priesthood of all believers, The Bible talks about how we all are in service to God, just using our different gifts. If your gift's teaching, then teach. If your gift's hospitality, if it's faith, if it's giving, if it's evangelizing, if it's sharing, use your gift. Whatever it is, we're to express our gifts in, because we're all in the priesthood of God. That's what the New Testament teaches. Priests 
ministered before the Lord. And the New Testament says you are all priests who minister before the Lord. That's what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. When he says that you're being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God, he's like, you're doing the work of a priest. Or in 1 Peter 2, 9, when he says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a priesthood. You are to be doing the work of the ministry. God has made, Christ has made every one of you, every person, into a priesthood in service of God. We're not observers watching the priests do the work. We are all involved in ministry. We're all involved in service. Ephesians 4 even says that the job of the pastor is to equip, the job of the teacher is to equip the saints for service. His job is to equip and empower people to serve. We we believe in this. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. You're equipped to serve. You're empowered to go and serve. You you don't even need our, you don't need permission from from some church leader. God has given you not only the permission, he's given you a command to do it. I met Scott this week. He's a baseball guy. He's a college baseball coach. He coached D2 level. He coached community college level. Uh, he became a Christian later in life. And as, he, as Scott began to coach and do baseball and, and build relationships with these, these young adults, and, and he began to get to know these guys. I got to know him. Uh, he, he started sharing his faith with these guys. And he, he told me a story about leading this, this college kid to the Lord. And he baptized him. And uh, he became this new follower of Jesus and was jazzed about his faith. Of course, Scott is excited to see him growing in his faith. And when this became known to the college minister of the church that he attended, the college minister was upset with Scott, this young man. He was upset with him because he said You're, you, you, he didn't do it within the ministry of the church. And he told Scott, it's like you're, you're going rogue, man. You're going rogue. That's what he was told. And it was so discouraging to Scott, who felt like, isn't that what I was told by Jesus to do, is to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them everything I've commanded you. And he did that, and now he's getting grief from some guy who didn't feel like it happened within, I guess, their ministry, or I don't know, maybe at the church. I mean, is that what the Bible teaches? Does it Does it say anywhere in Scripture where only the minister is supposed to baptize? No. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he found people arguing about, you know, I'm a a better Christian than you because I was baptized by this guy. I was baptized by this guy. And he's like, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. It has nothing to do with who baptized you. Paul discourages that kind of attitude. Do we see anywhere in Scripture where only church leaders are supposed to lead people to Christ? No. Do we see anywhere in Scripture where baptisms are, have to happen in the building? No. Philippian jailer, his entire family, they were baptized at that hour of the night. Acts 2, 3,000 people got baptized when they, they didn't even have a building yet. The Ethiopian eunuch, he's on a road, on a desert road, and he, there's a body of water over there. And he's like, what's preventing me from being baptized? As Philip shared the gospel with him. It, it can happen anywhere, any time, any place to those who put their faith and belief in Jesus and are repenting of their sins. So it's, no, there, there's none of that. And those who want to control that, that's not leadership. That's not what God has called us to do. No, he wants us to go and make disciples. He wants us to go. And so maybe there was a time in your life when you felt discouraged from just 
going and doing what Jesus called you to do, I pray that's not the case today. So how do we shorten the gap between the harvest field and the harvest force so that we do what we've been called to do? Here's another thing we can pray. God, help me to embrace the priesthood of all believers. Help me to be in service of you and to embrace this, that all of us have been called to this. Jesus wants you to be a doer of the word. Thank you. How many of you like a good children's church object lesson? I love them. I just do. I haven't done it forever. I think there's a period of time they told preachers, stop doing the object lesson, so maybe I did, but I, I can't help it today. I just want to do a quick object lesson for you because uh, the Bible just says over and over to be doers of the word. In fact, Jesus' brother James writes in James one twenty two, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Don't just take it in. So here's my illustration. You're the milk. This is you. You're the milk. Who here likes chocolate milk? You like chocolate milk? Yes. Yep, we love chocolate milk. Everybody loves chocolate milk, except for those who are allergic to milk. But imagine your milk. Here's the Word of God. How many of you love God's Word? And so you put God's Word into your life. And you keep putting God's Word into your life. In fact, you come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday putting God's Word in your life. This is what it looked like when my kids would make chocolate milk. And as a parent, you're like, that's enough chocolate. But no, we want more of God's Word in our life, don't we? More of it. I want you to notice the change. I mean, when you put that much of God's word in your life, can't you see it? Isn't it amazing how much change, transformation took place in that milk? How many of you would call that chocolate milk? Raise your hand right now and say, that's chocolate milk. Nobody. You realize there's milk and there's chocolate. And none of you are admitting that that's chocolate milk. Why is that? It's not until you put it into practice. It's not until you obey it. It's not until you do something about it. It's not until you just stop taking in, taking in, taking in. But you say, I'm going to apply this. I'm going to obey this. It's what Jesus says the, the, the house that was built on the rock looked like. He heard and he obeyed. That's the wise man. Isn't that beautiful? That's what I call chocolate milk. I could probably use a little more chocolate in there. <laughs> the Word of God is living and active. It's not until we obey it, use it, apply it, that it changes us, transforms us. You can't just take in and take in. So here's another prayer. I want to ask you to pray today and this week. Lord, God, make me a doer of the word. Make me a doer of the word. Kyle Eineman, in his book, One at a Time, he says, can you imagine how it would feel to look back at your life and realize there were adventures God intended for you to have, but you never experienced them? 
There was a purpose God made for you, but you never lived it. There were opportunities God put in front of you, but you never took them. There were stories you were meant to be a part of, but you turned and ran in the opposite direction. I definitely don't want that for me or for you. So we definitely need to to figure out what it looks like to live out the adventure of God's will for our lives. And that's really what we're calling you to today. God has an adventure for your life. He has a will. He has a will for you. And you simply need to pray, God, what is your will? God, if you can do it there, I know you can do it here. God, reduce the gap from the harvest field to the harvest forest. God, help me embrace the priesthood of all believers. God, make me a doer of the word. Make me a doer of the word. Why? Because there's 303,663 Green County residents, of which I'm guessing only 30% know Jesus. That leaves 212,564 who need Jesus. That doesn't include our state. That doesn't include some of the counties that others of you live in, whether it's Webster or Christian. That doesn't count the state, our nation, or our world. When you begin to look at those numbers, the numbers become quite large. And it can seem overwhelming. And that's why we pray. We do what Jesus said to do. God send workers. All the workers that are needed to reach the world, they're already here in the world. Jesus is providing them. We need to pray for workers to go. And my prayer is that we would be those workers. I want you to take just a couple minutes here and I want you just to reflect on some things and this is my action step right now and maybe you can just bow your head and kind of reflect on this but just choose someone right now that you could discuss this with, this message from the Lord. Just choose someone that you could discuss this with and bring that person to your mind and then just, I want to challenge you to pray through this with them. Pray through this with them and and have that conversation of what it would look like if God did this in your life. So just think of someone right now. Who could you discuss what we've talked about today with? And who could you pray this with? These questions will be on our app. You can go there and look. You can obviously come back to this part of the sermon and see it on the screen. But let's make this our prayer. Let's take a few moments and just silent prayer and Think about who could we invite to have a conversation with us about this that could also join us in praying for these things. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would do your will and we would finish your work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to share uh, something with you before we go into our time of decision point. And and if you'll just stand with me as I share this, because we're going to be singing here in a moment. And uh, but have something important I just want to invite you to also be praying about and an action step you can do that's going to come out in an email this week. Um, You know, we, uh, one of our partners that we're working with here in the Springfield community 
that some of our global outreach dollars go to, but also we have individuals in our church that give significantly to this ministry as, as well as the Pregnancy Care Center. They're meeting with couples in crisis, women in crisis who come in with unplanned pregnancies, and, and they come into that place, and they're experiencing the love of God, the grace of God in that place. And, and there are many who come to faith as well in that journey. And uh, we've been supporting, in fact, this year, over $50,000 has already been given to Pregnancy Care Center through just our church alone for the work that's happening. But they're facing some incredible challenges right now that I want to make you aware of this. Come out in their email. And I just want to say, first of all, if you don't get an email from the Pregnancy Care Center, I want to invite you to start receiving that email. Just reach out to them and get it. We're going to send a link in our email with the information that they gave to us this past week. But back in 2019, they were required as an organization that if they did not perform abortions, they had to register with Google, which they did back in 2019. They had to do that to keep running ads. In June of this year, there was a cohort. These were Democratic lawmakers that sent a letter to Google about organizations like Pregnancy Care Center. And the reason they did that was they wanted them to restrict search engine results showing life-affirming centers like the Pregnancy Care Center. Google listened to that. And as a result of that, anytime you Google um, searches and it contains the word abortion in it, which one of the reasons this ministry exists is for abortion-minded women, Anytime they Google the word abortion, abortion pill, abortion whatever, uh, they stopped showing up. Pregnancy Care Center stopped showing up in the Google searches. So that was already happening. But Pregnancy Care Center, even using some dollars we would give to them, they do ads too, right? They do ads. So that comes up for, for women who are looking online. Everybody searches that way online. Well, now Google is blocking their ads, so they won't even allow their ads to be shown now. And they've got proof of that. They've got the, it's telling them that they can't use it anymore. And so the Pregnancy Care Center has sent out an email this week to us to do several things. Uh, first of all, there's a link there where you can, you can send a letter to Google. So the lawmakers did it, so we can do it too. So they're inviting you to send a letter to Google about this. Uh, Praise the Care Center has OBGYN oversight. It has staff, nurses. They provide information about everything, including abortion, what it is and, and what, what that's like, what happens. They educate on all those things. Um, but they're not allowing a life-affirming option now for women who are going through crisis. And so because of that, over the last couple months, the Pregnancy Care Center inquiries, people coming to them, it's decreased significantly over, over the last several weeks. They've already seen a drop in numbers because of it. And so they're asking us not only to send a letter, but they're asking us to, through word of mouth to let people that we know who may be in unplanned or crisis pregnancies know about the Pregnancy Care Center so we can take more responsibility for that, but also that, that, that we would pray. And even more importantly, just start praying right now that God could do something through this and change that uh, policy that Google has taken on. So I want us just to pray about that right now. This is a work we support big time because we see it actually boots on the ground making a difference in people's lives and we want to pray for them right now because they're facing some new challenges with that. So let's, let's pray together and Lord, I, I just want to pray right now that Lord, as we go into the harvest field that you will have us in closer proximity with those, Lord, who are in need of you. They're in need of help. They're in need of your love and grace. 
They're in need of support. They're in need of resources. So as we do that, I, I think we'll be in closer proximity. We can help people know about where to find those things. Lord, I also want to pray for the Pregnancy Care Center that you would continue to bless and expand their work even during this difficult time that they're in right now. And then, Lord, I also want to pray right now that we would just remember that every life before and after birth is sacred. It holds intrinsic value and dignity at every life stage, and it's worthy of being protected. And I pray that we would continue to lean in with care and compassion and grace to help women who could choose They could choose life as an attractive choice when they're scared, um, feel like they have no support, hopeless. Lord, I pray that you would help us impact them in that way. Lord, as we leave today, may we be followers of Jesus who make disciples. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I switched. you know, I'm going to be at Decision Point today, but please think of someone, pray with someone as you leave. Offering boxes are at the doors, and you can give with the information on the screen. But at this time, let's just lift up our voices and make this the prayer of our heart. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.